0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Dark Rhino Security Podcast. Today, a few of the Dark Rhino team members are joining me in the studio to talk about some recent cybersecurity conferences that we have been fortunate enough to participate in. This is the first all-in-studio podcast. Nobody's remote today. Yeah, It's a Friday okay.
1: afternoon, and and we've got uh, a great team assembled here yeah, today. Yeah, we do. We got Jake here, we got Mitch here, we got Nick here, and uh, we're going to talk about as always cybersecurity but uh in specific uh, both uh, Nick and Mitch and Jake actually had a chance to attend a couple cybersecurity events and I thought it'd be good to share with the audience what was going on at some of those events to give the listeners a little bit of insight on what's at the top of mind uh for people in the world of cybersecurity right now specifically in the last week or so Nick was just yesterday on a president's panel in downtown columbus where he participated with a uh, person from uh, huntington banks and the federal bureau of investigation so i think that might be a great place to start nick what was this event about that you attended
2: so to be clear it wasn't uh, it wasn't the president of the united states panel it was a uh, it was a president's business forum panel where we sat down and met with local business leaders, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, talked about cybersecurity risks. Um, Ashley Braun from Huntington Bank was there, and, uh, and she spoke about some of the gaps in cybersecurity insurance. We had Rob White from the FBI. He was there speaking uh, about what the FBI is seeing trends in cybersecurity uh, threats that businesses are facing. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk with uh, a number of business leaders about how to get started with cybersecurity programs, things like choosing a framework or understanding what some of the local laws are that are new for Ohio, uh, SB220, providing some safe harbor for organizations that adhere to, uh, to a framework. And we had an opportunity to talk about You know, what what does it mean to be in the cloud and how does that impact your security? So, we talked about that. So, there's a a
1: general assumption on that, Nick, that if I'm buying services from Amazon or from Microsoft with Azure, that I am secure. I don't have to do much there. Is that true?
2: That's a very common misconception. Uh, Just because you are in the cloud does not imply in any way to whether or not you are secure. Uh, Now, if you have really poor practices for your on prem infrastructure management, you could be insecure because of those practices, but just by choosing a cloud provider does not guarantee any degree of security. And at the end of the day, the thing that's most important for every organization to remember is that your data is your responsibility to protect, regardless if it is in um, Amazon or Google Cloud Platform or or Azure, or if you choose a SaaS application like Dropbox or Box or G Suite or Office 365, Workday, or, uh, Salesforce, all of those SaaS applications, you know, they take reasonable measures to protect your data, but at the end of the day, there's still quite a lot that you are responsible for. And configuring those properly is, is key, it's the first step. And then looking at other t- security tools to, uh, to augment where, where their built-in or native security options are limited or are not able to be set in alignment with your organization's policies.
1: And, and there's a benefit to actually uh, taking the time and the effort, at least in Ohio, to go ahead and secure some of these environments with you briefly mentioned SB220. What is that exactly? Well,
2: I mean, it's a law, so it's not it's not going to be something simple to cover in just a, a few minutes of a podcast. But at the high level, organizations that adhere to and attest to uh, to a approved information security framework, there are about six, I believe, of them. Uh, okay. Uh, they are provided a certain degree of, of safe harbor against litigation in the event of a data breach. Um, the idea behind it, the principle behind it, really comes from... If you take all reasonable measures to protect your information and some malicious actor comes along with a unknown or zero day vulnerability or exploit and manages to breach your environment, you can't really be held accountable for what nobody else in the world knew. And so the rationale behind it being that if you take all the reasonable precautions you are adhering to and following a framework like NIST or the ISO 27000 series, um, high trust. If you if you are following these these cybersecurity frameworks, you can uh, you can receive a certain degree of protection from litigation.
1: Well, it sounds like something that everybody should be taking note of, and they should do some research on it and see what the impl- implementation implications are within their organizations.
2: Yeah, th- and there are there are lots of really wonderful resources out there. Dark Rhino is a great resource for organizations that. Uh, are unsure of what that means, what's involved with adhering to a framework, or uh, what's how to go about choosing the correct framework. Um, many organizations get stuck in this analysis paralysis, what's the right framework for me? And the truth of the matter is that about 80% of the content of any one framework is going to map to certain components of any other framework. They are the best practices, and by definition best practices are pretty general and universal. So. Uh, following picking a framework is more important than than choosing the correct framework. If you choose the wrong one, you need to pivot in two years or three years. Uh, it's not it's not going to be a whole reset start over. It'll be changing five, ten, fifteen percent of the of the security controls or policies or procedures that you've put in place. And a lot of it's just fine tuning at that point.
1: So you mentioned you were on the panel with the FBI. Mm. I'm more than curious. What did uh, Robert White, you said, was the gentleman's name? Mm-hmm. What were
2: some of his insights that you walked away from? Well, a lot of it was uh, was targeted at business leaders, so there weren't very technical discussions. But one of the things that I uh, was made more aware of yesterday is something called IC3. Um, it is the Internet Crime... Internet Ic-
0: Crime Complaint C- Center.
2: Thank you. That's it. Internet go, C- Crime Complaint Center. There you go. In any event, IC3 is a website you can actually go to as a private citizen. It is a great, or, a great opportunity for businesses and, and, and individuals that are victims of some form of cybercrime to report it to, uh, to the authorities. And because of the sheer volume of cybercrime that's happening, there's kind of a minimum threshold before the FBI can reasonably dedicate resources uh, towards uh, investigating and, and trying to apprehend or prevent these cybercrimes. Uh, so one of the things that this IC3 does is it allows them to kind of aggregate your run-of-the-mill $5,000, $25,000, $50,000 incidents into a larger total sum that may be already in the middle of being investigated or uh, or have the the total amount of these uh, of these crimes kind of compiled up to reach a, a approximately a million dollar threshold. Um, so the so the thing that that organizations are able to do. Is report these here. If it's in investigation, if it's, already, if it's already getting ready to go to trial, it may get you opportunity for restitutions. It, it, it's uh, always a great thing. If you have a security breach from some kind of cyber crime, it is always important to report it. And IC3 is a great place to start. Uh, another one that blew my mind was, you know, I hadn't considered the fact that a lot of times these, uh, these ransomware, these major ransomware outbreaks, they'll have shared keys to unlock your files. And you can actually call the uh, non-emergency FBI hotlines and speak with somebody who will direct you to the agent that's running with that specific ransomware if it is being investigated. And they may have already acquired an unlock token where you can unlock your files without having to pay the ransom, which you should do uh, on a very, very, very rare occasion. Don't pay the ransom. You just make yourself a hot target for the next time. So see, now that is worth. The price of admission for this podcast, mm-hmm. right there.
1: Yeah, Th- that's.
2: Not, I, I'm not saying that every <laughs> that every that every version of ransomware is going to have a single token that'll unlock your uh, that'll unlock your file, N- but it certainly is worth a try. But, uh, this was a yeah. bit of information I that didn't know until you
1: just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. That you can actually go to the FBI and they might actually have the unlock token for a ransomware mm-hmm. attack that you may be a victim of. Which is why I always preach, or we always preach, that you should also have a great. Backup strategy, which is completely separate from the rest of your environment, and if you do get hit by one, don't pay it.
3: Right. I, I always kind of wondered that. Like, I don't understand like the rhetoric where people still like persuade you and saying that you should pay the ransom. Like that. That no. alone. Like, I just don't quite understand that really.
2: I mean, it, I I would for you and I, it's a little different. We work in an industry where we. Kind of are naturally going to be more inclined to take on that challenge uh, and understand the the processes that people go through. But if you, uh, I spoke with a company uh, not long ago, and uh, and they were telling me that they had they had been infected with ransomware, and they spent uh, a few days of, of trying to re- to resolve the issue it was encrypting uh, shares and and endpoints, and they finally contained it, but to, to unlock their files was going to be. Thousands and thousands right. and thousands of dollars of, of time and resources sending drives out and and all of the all of the associated steps that one can take to to try to recover their data in the event that they don't have a backup and it was my understanding they did not, um, but the ransom came to be six thousand dollars and you have to weigh the cost of the benefit the cost benefit there right so six thousand dollars for a company that makes a billion dollars a month. You know, that's, that's nothing. That's jump change, $6, yeah. $6,000 for a company do, that makes $6,000 a month. But are these that's ethical uh,
1: criminals, do they actually unlock your files? That's another. It's crazy. It's I actually think they guaranteed. do. I think they
2: do <laughs> a pretty high rate actually unlock the files because they want people to pay. And if they <laughs> establish this, this the you pay me and then I don't, around. I'm not yeah. sure I'm going to get it. I'm not sure I'm going to get what I want. Then they, they kind of poison their own well. Uh, and then there, we had discussion, uh, one of the other people on the panel who I don't believe was man- mentioned was Stephen from, uh, from All Covered. Um, they provide some managed services for organizations generally around more infrastructure and IT support, help desk stuff, but uh, but they have gotten a little bit into the security realm. Uh, one of the things he talked about was, you know, the the ransomware as a service that's now coming out. Where yeah, I didn't know about that.
1: Ransomware as a service. Yeah. Please
2: explain. Well, it's happening in a couple, couple of different ways, but essentially people create ransomware and then allow you to go download it, and it's now your responsibility to disseminate it and infect computers. And any computers that get infected from that People who created the ransomware will keep some cut of the ransom and then you get the rest of it.
0: It's like a ransom consent type of thing like that. So, you know what I mean? If you use their ransomware and you get a thousand dollars out of it, they get 200 of the thousand.
2: And,
1: and do people realize this is breaking multiple federal laws and it's a
0: felonious offense? And I don't know if they know it's a felony, but I've it's definitely I mean, it's it's obviously yeah, wrong. It's, They're it's not, you know what I mean? They're not just uh, Yeah, thinking they got a new day job going.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's I think it I think it's pretty well known, but you have uh, you have different organized crime operations, right? Or or lack of organized crime, right? So you have you have different crime groups or individuals that don't have the expertise that's necessary to create a, a piece of malware or to find zero-day vulnerabilities cuz those are hard. They and they're very expensive. They're worth a lot of money on the black market. So, you know, you have you have and I'm I'm just picking something because I heard it on NPR today. You have the the uh, you know the the New York Mafia, right? They might want to get into ransomware as seeing it as a, a way to diversify their crime portfolio, um, but don't necessarily have IT professionals. It's a dangerous, dangerous uh, game. Um, another to
0: really interesting thing that Robert from the FBI was saying is he said that the in, maybe in Columbus or in Ohio, but the average bank robbery in person is about a $3500 take. He said the average cyber robbery of a bank is about $3 million. Really? Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah, I don't know if he was using exact numbers, but he was speaking in ag- in orders of magnitude, which is Yeah, which, I mean, which, which blew my mind. Uh, you know, I I can't imagine. I feel like there's not that many robberies of banks like physical go in and rob the bank anymore. Yeah. I always, every time yeah, I hear about hear one, them, I'm always like, "Oh my goodness, is that still happening?" I just feel or like really? you
0: never hear about anybody getting away. Like you're going to be the first guy to pull off a bank robbery and not get caught, right? I mean, but why take that risk when you can get away with
1: three mil
2: exactly, and you don't
1: have to leave your house? Yeah, I, was, I would still
2: computer. probably encourage leaving your house if you're going to rob a bank. Uh, probably don't do it, do it from, from the from your public house. library. <laughs> for, those, for those who are listening with that intent, I would encourage not doing it at all. Get a and library card or a fake name and do it. Do there. not do it from home.
1: <laughs> we had a bank on that panel too. What did uh,
2: those folks yeah, have so to? Ashley was Ashley was from Huntington, and, and she talked about that. But that was talked about here in our office a few times. That, that Huntington Bank was there, and uh, Huntington Bank, and I didn't know this uh, at all. Really, uh, has a very large insurance arm. They do property, I casualty, no they insurance. They do, yes, they do all kinds of insurance for organizations and individuals. Um, and she was there representing their uh, their cyber insurance arm of the business. Okay. Talking about the things that organizations are making often making claims for. Um, one thing that she pointed out was really kind of a gray area uh, is uh, cyber crime is crime, right? But it might be covered under your cyber insurance policy, and it might be covered under your crime insurance policy, and it could be covered under neither of them depending upon the type of cyber crime that you're that you're experiencing. Really? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, you know, th- there have been some. She said there have been some rulings in courts, and there have been some precedents set where, if somebody actually breaches your systems and steals credentials uh, or fishes and gets real credentials um, and does act inside of your own email, for instance, uh, that that would probably be covered under your your crime because it is it is considered a crime there. But uh, sending an email be- pretending to be your CEO and, and encouraging you to redirect uh, funds to a different account. Uh, may not fall under your under your cyber insurance or may not fall under your criminal protection insurance. So I uh, found that to be pretty interesting um, that there that there are kind of boundaries and we all have experienced that in our life. I, uh, I've i had someone, you know, knock in the window of my car and steal stuff out and I was told by my car insurance, talk to your homeowners. And I talked to my uh, homeowners and they said, no, wasn't in the house. So uh, there there's, there's those boundaries. You gotta, you gotta be very clear when you're talking as a business, when you're talking with your insurance agents, uh, when you're talking brokers or you're talking with your, uh, with your representatives, uh, understand what is excluded is really important. And then from that also understanding where the boundaries of different coverages cover you.
1: Yeah. That's very valuable insight. I don't think most folks when they're applying for a cyber insurance policy actually take any of that into consideration a lot of small businesses just have a very simple short form that they fill out and it doesn't really even ask questions in any depth i'm assuming the insurance industry is just going saying the likelihood of something happening here is so small there's such a low-level target we yeah. don't know if they have any controls
0: and we especially don't know since cybersecurity uh, is so hyper-technical i feel like that's Totally, type of thing where if you are, you know, let's say you own a pizza shop or something, you don't know the first thing about cybersecurity, but you want to, you go and get your cyber insurance, and in your mind, all right, if something happens to me, I'm going to be covered. But then, as soon as it does, they're, they're going to be like, oh, well, this happened due to this type of attack based from this type of execution. It's not covered. It's not covered. Yeah. So, I mean, I just for somebody that's not tech savvy, I could definitely see kind of getting caught up in that paying for insurance that never pays off scheme.
1: Well, we've heard of cases with franchise owners, uh, where they have uh, been shut down by ransomware they lost all their data they didn't have it backed up and uh, their cyber insurance policy did not cover a lot of things they didn't cover the loss of business there was no way for them to get their uh, data back Uh, that was gone permanently because they didn't have a good backup policy Uh, and Small business, right? You know, small franchise, whether that be a pizza shop, yeah, or it be a Subway store or a dry cleaner. Who knows? You know, th- those folks, they may have a cyber policy, but their level of c- coverage could be quite insufficient for what could potentially happen if uh, they got hit by ransomware.
2: Definitely. So one, two things to talk about with that. One is, uh, is, is backups are critical, but backups can be infected. We're seeing more and more and more. That these uh, that these pieces of malware are are really in the advanced persistent threat realm and they're just kind of hanging out silent on your computer for three four five six ten days hundred days 150 days uh, and then you're running these backups and uh, and then you get encrypted you go to restore from a com- from a backup and you're restoring from a backup that has the same malware in it it's going to re-encrypt your machine right away uh, and so thats so backups are critically important but it is important to keep multiple iterations of backups because you may not be able to restore from yesterday's backup. You may have to go back five, 10, 15 days, two months, wow. which would be really problematic for most organizations. But I, I imagine that some information uh, is far better than none. Well, Nick, you know, uh, even very large companies, I,
1: I forget who it was, but there was a rideshare provider that was in the papers where they got hit by ransomware and they actually paid it. They mm-hmm. p- oh, okay. They paid a very significant number I, and mm-hmm. it was, uh, high five or low six digit sum that they ended up paying. So you yeah. would think that a tech company like that, a rideshare services provider would have immense backup of all their information and would have uh, invested a lot of resources into securing their environment. Obviously it was not true, but.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I uh, I have a good friend of mine worked with Iron Mountain said one of their services is uh, is cold storage of your backups. Uh, and that's specifically because there has been an increase in malware that's targeting people's backups. That's, a, that's looking at, at causing the same kind of ransomware, but in their backups without their knowledge, uh, doing it quietly, doing it silently, sitting in those backups. So uh, they have a they have a cold storage, and then they actually will help you do forensics before restoring. So it's a pretty a pretty cool feature there. Um, unrelated to that, then going back to uh, going back to talk about um, talking about the insurance real quickly. Uh, another thing that, that actually was made made clear and, and uh as well as another couple of uh the, the people attending the panel, uh is that if you are in the interest interested in getting cyber insurance or if you are in the market and you know I don't have a fully fledged cybersecurity program, uh it's that's okay. Uh right now it is it is in vogue, it is very important, it's very popular, whatever whatever term you want to use, to um to gain your your premium base, your your Subscribers, your your insurance customers, if you will, and cyber is one of those that's growing like hotcakes right now. So, a lot of these a lot of these companies, Huntington included, will uh, will onboard a company that doesn't have a complete cyber program, and then do either internally themselves or uh, or bring in a company like Dark Rhino to to do an assessment of your organization to kind of identify the high risk things that your organization could change, uh, and that those will ultimately help lower your premium. But in the meantime, you have protection. You have that insurance, uh, and you get kind of that assessment. So you get two two values out of that. So uh, for organizations looking to uh, to build out a cyber program, and uh, and or ones that are looking for uh, kind of a little bit more information about what cyber insurance looks like, I would I would encourage you connect with one of your cyber insurance um, agencies, agents, uh, brokers, what have you, out there in the marketplace, and uh, and see what services are, are available from them because uh, that's a great resource for organizations. In addition to obviously calling Dark Rhino, call Dark Rhino all the time. <laughs> Plug for Dark uh-huh. First, Rhino, right. call Dark Rhino. Thank you, Nick.
0: Another thing, um, it wasn't one of the guys on the panel. One of the people that was in the the audience mentioned he, he said, "If you're meeting with somebody about cyber insurance, ask go through what if scenarios. If this happens, am I covered? Like, what if this? What if that? No. Yeah, same thing. Because yeah. that's you know what I mean. All these loopholes and yeah, specific cap, terms. Yeah, exactly.
2: Might have a cap of thirty five hundred dollars on your three hundred and fifty thousand dollar coverage." in the event that one of your employees, I don't know, passes out their password to somebody. You know what actually be, I I would ask is like if if you have
1: a really high-tech car like a Tesla and that gets (laughs) invaded (laughs) with a cyber uh, infection of some kind, does your auto insurance policy cover that, or is I'm that going to sure be they side who, Who's going <laughs> to? That's like a hundred, some like. thousand dollars that yeah. someone's
3: going to eat. You know, I think it's also worth mentioning here that Tesla does not provide updates on the car's, like I guess their OS. So if you're really? driving an older model, the car, like yeah. it's going to run an older I they OS, kept and then them. you're oh. subject to possible like yeah. vulnerabilities there.
0: That's something I wonder about, not even just with Tesla. How easy and how common is that 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 gets or hacked? You know ing- what I mean? If I have the right computer application, can I just go start unlocking cars in a parking lot while you everyone's probably at work?
1: You could. If you got into the OnStar system, yeah. you could probably unlock a whole bunch of GM
0: vehicles or start
1: them or give their geolocations and do all kinds of nefarious things. Well, and I think it's been
2: demonstrated that uh, that kind of – and I'm I'm air quoting here, hacking and work. <laughs> Spoofing mm-hmm. RFID keys uh, for keyless oh, entry yeah. has been proven to be fairly trivial activity. Hmm. Uh, I say fairly trivial in the scale of it can be done. Not, uh, not there's an app for that. Uh, gotcha. Trivial. Um, so, th- I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's been proven that that's been that's been doable for a while now. Um, I, I think that I, I, if you're if you are expecting to be a target of people doing that, uh, you have to make a lot of changes in your lifestyle. Um, but for the general consumer for the average user that's just i i don't see it as a high risk it's not a it's a not a frequent event today and yeah. getting caught with the equipment necessary to do that is bad news buckaroos for whoever gets caught yeah I, i'm sure
1: <laughs> you know, s- switching uh, a little bit on information uh let's switch to a more technical uh conference that we uh, recently had the pleasure of attending. And Mitch is here who organized the events. Uh, he's yeah. one of the lead organizers for the B-Sides event here in Columbus. But for those who may not be familiar, B-Sides is quite a uh, cybersecurity event for technicians. Can you give us a little bit of background on what it is, Mitch? Yeah,
3: yeah. So um, basically with like B-Sides, it's a uh, it's kind of like a chain conference. There's probably about a thousand different B-Sides conferences all around the world. Um, it started about 10 years ago by this guy named uh, Jack Daniel. Um, basically, he was just fed up. Was with
0: he into whiskey? Jack Daniel I don't Jack think Daniels?
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, he was fed up, though, with these conferences like DEF CON and Black Hat and how it's just kind of like a big vendor pitch. You know, everyone, all these, like, really good t- uh, researchers and security were basically getting denied uh, access to speak at these conferences. And he was like, screw it. You know, I'm going to start my own conference in Las Vegas to come compete with these and it's going to be called b-sides like the b-sides of a record you know these are the talks that's
1: where it comes from
3: yeah Yeah, that's why there's always like an underlying
0: b-s-i-d-e-s not b-e-s-i-d-e-s that confused me for the first like three
2: weeks yeah i can't tell you how many times somebody called it besides (laughs) no, no no (laughs) b-sides
3: but yeah it's supposed to be like b-sides of the record like these are the people you know that got rejected from the major conferences elsewhere yeah. yeah So, I mean, I think that whole concept just in itself is cool. But yeah, that is. That eventually evolved into different cities picking up their own B-Sides conferences because, you know, not everyone from Columbus, Ohio, can just make it out to DEF CON or Black Hat or even the B-Sides of Las Vegas. Yeah. So, multiple people have adapted B-Sides for their own community. And, you know, it's a place for people to network, people to disclose new vulnerabilities, and just show off the research, really. And I honestly, like pride myself in our B-sides specifically because we take a lot of pride in, uh, like our content.
1: So, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to be, uh, at last year's B-sides here in Columbus and at this year's, I saw a huge amount of increase in traffic there. I mean, Mm. last year it was like a small, a much smaller conference, but this year at the police Academy, it seemed like we were out of space. There, there's just nowhere to go.
3: Yeah. It's, It's Columbus, especially is just really growing. And I think part of that is because of the content. And I mean, we're delivering a good event for a low cost, you know, it's $25 to get in like a lot of these other conferences, they'll charge you 250, 300, they'll charge you an arm and a leg, you know, here, it's like, we're trying to make it available to the open public know as long as you can take off work on a friday there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to go
0: yeah 25
1: bucks why not well it's a technical conference i would imagine any company out there that's looking into the development of its employees mm-hmm. as it relates to cyber this is a great low-cost
3: event to potentially attend and up your knowledge a little bit i totally agree yeah these these companies like here locally especially um i don't see why they couldn't come out here and, and you know we offer training as well so it's a great opportunity for everyone in the companies to get better.
1: W- was there specific topics or agendas that you saw that were just popped out this year at this year's uh, conference at, at the B sides?
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. So we broke it down into four different really categories. We had tracks. Um, there was defensive security. There was offensive security, really? um, developing security. And then um I would describe it as OSINT, which is basically um, spicy Google, searching. <laughs> spicy <laughs> that's Google how, searching. That's how I would describe <laughs> it. <laughs> what what uh,
2: spicy? Which, which is Goog- what every IT person does is some form of spicy Google searching. I don't that's, even know what, I, I mean I have my own ideations quick, yeah. on
1: what that may mean, yeah. but what does that mean?
2: So basically like
3: with OSINT, you're using different platforms like Google and stuff to gather information on someone or something. So that's why I kind of referred to it as spicy Google searching, because you're going after a certain um, certain topics. You know, you're really getting granular. You're really looking for like a phone number, a name, an email. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. You're, you're just gathering as much information as you can. That's made public. Um, I'd honestly describe it like, have you guys seen the show Catfish on yeah. MTV? Yeah. Um, that's all these that's all what these guys do. You know, they just go online. They look for Instagram photos of these guys to confirm if they're real or fake. That's Right. Just, it's spicy Google searching. Very it's spicy. <laughs> um, but to, Minos, to get back on your point, though, uh, we had four different categories. And um, I think a, the, lot, the big focus this year was um, the offensive side. Someone specifically had a topic on assumed breach, breach testing. Um, his name is Brendan O'Connor. Really great guy and everything. Um, he was talking about what a company could do in the case that there was a breach. But you're already assuming that there is one. You know, so what do you do next? There's been a breach. You know, what kind of steps you take next to mitigate that? Just because there hasn't been one doesn't mean you can't plan for one actively. Right? No,
1: and in most cases there has been one, and people certainly don't know about it. I I forget the number, but there's a statistic. There's multiple statistics on this, but uh, somewhere between 170 and 220 days is what a silent invader will yeah. stay uh unnoticed inside of a yeah. network environment
0: and just collect as much as they can like yeah. nick was saying earlier they can infect backups
1: do you remember what uh, was there any specific insights that you want to share on that topic
3: I, re- I really wish i could it's just the problem was i r- i really didn't get to sit on a whole bunch of yeah topics. yeah i know busy. you organized yeah. this whole thing so yeah. that's
1: no small task
3: yeah that was that was the whole, that was the only difficult part for me i really I got to you know see the overviews of all the talks, the rest of the team, and like you know, the nine guys that I work with, you know we got to evaluate the talks, but as far as me getting into the really big details of the talks i I don't know if I can really speak on that too well just because I didn't get a chance to go. I was being pulled in every which way direction that day
1: yeah i you were sitting at the front desk quite a bit, I <laughs> quite a bit I remember that, yeah, I answering
3: remember. questions um i think I think the biggest um takeaway though from b sides this year was um Runa Sandvik. Uh, the Director of Information Security at the New York Times. I was just going
0: to ask, yeah, what, what was, was her
3: it? topic? I didn't get to see that one. Well, so she kind of had a uh, general keynote topic on, you know, she answered questions from the audience. Gotcha. But one of the most, you know, common you know questions was, you know, you work for the New York Times. How do you train the reporters in the workspace, you know, to be more security, security right. oriented? You know, that's obviously like a big concern, especially for a company like the New York Times. And so she was saying how, she takes a different reports because there's obviously different teams. You know, like you have the reporters who do the obituaries. You have the reporters who do like breaking news yeah. and all that. You, know, you have reporters in Berlin. Travel, food, yeah, yeah
0: everything. So New York Times. Yeah. She
3: they specify a different class, um, a different security class for all these different reporters yeah. and people in the workspace, in the newsroom. So I, yeah, I, I honestly think I think that's
2: probably the best approach for it. I think right, it's really cool. Yeah, Keep she has some pretty cool insights on, uh, on you know, handle it, how to handle populations with different level of technical capabilities. Right, I mean, that's one of the challenges every business has to deal with. You have, you have the IT folks, and then you have the not IT folks who are good with IT. and Then you have the people who look at a computer like it's trying to take right. a job and would rather just use a pencil and pen and type. <laughs> it. Uh, and you really do have. I that don't think we
1: have that record. many of those left.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, we do. There's a lot of, you know, you're, you're working in an IT company, so we're not going to see that very much here, but you absolutely will. I've, you know, worked in hospital systems, and there are there are doctors who will fight tooth and nail to do everything, do all their charting on paper, and then have to have somebody... Type it into a computer system, so yeah. Can but they're compliant. special;
1: they're doctors.
2: One of the talks that I was so excited to see, and I'm I'm actually really pissed I didn't get to see it, was uh, how online Data- dating may be better <laughs> at threat modeling. I saw that on really? the, on the yeah, list. That, I didn't see the talk, but that, so I, so uh, I mean, I I would encourage if anybody has uh, is listening to this podcast. It was from all ten from everything I've heard. It's it was a great talk a lot of people's favorite talk at the at uh, the conference so the, the, is there any
1: way it. to put a link in Yeah, you know podcast? what? We
2: have yeah. um
3: so the videos
2: are on YouTube. If you you if can you put the link the video. to that. Yeah. And I'm going to butcher Isaiah's last name but something along the lines of uh Sarju uh did the talk Isaiah Sarju. That's, that's, that's my that's best Isaiah. guess. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh yes, I would I would check out that talk. It uh, It it was got rave reviews and it be something worth watching we'll drop the link to
0: to that video and are there all the b-sides videos on one channel or playlist yeah it's all
2: it's on you can either
3: get them on youtube or irongeek.com irongeek.com there you go yeah links will be in description
1: so on that note everybody take care and have a great weekend
0: thank you for joining us and as always be sure to subscribe check back next week and visit us at darkrinnersecurity.com